We'll pray over those who chose Chiefs game over church, but we won't hold that against them, right? <laughs> we'll just tease them about it a little bit. You guys okay today? Love the Lord? Amen, amen. Uh, get out your sermon section. Let's get ready to talk about being a non-toxic man. How many of you men would like to be non-toxic? Non-toxic masculinity. Amen. Um, and I, I, I redefined toxic masculinity a few weeks ago. Let me read that to you again just so you know what I'm saying. Because other people mean other things. It is the idea that, that uh, it is unmanly to say I love you. It's unmanly to be affectionate with your kids to lead your spouse or children in prayer, to demonstrate, to be demonstrative in worship, or to be found on your knees before God. To me, that is toxic masculinity when you feel that way about being a man. Talk to you about the character of a man. Last week we talked about the family man, actually a couple of weeks about the family man. Today I want to talk to you about being a man of wisdom. If God has called, or should I say, since God has called a man to be a godly husband and a godly father and to provide spiritual leadership for his family, where is a leader without knowledge? Where's a leader without wisdom? You see what I'm saying? It takes biblical knowledge, biblical wisdom to be a great leader. Multiple times when Paul was telling Timothy, here are your best men. Here are the men you want to put in leadership positions. He says they must be able to teach. They've got to be able to teach. Now, some men say, well, that could never be me. I'm never going to stand up in the classroom. All teaching doesn't take place in the classroom. Some of it takes place around the kitchen table. Amen? Some of it takes place at the bedside of your child. Some of it takes place in an automobile. Wherever you get a chance to speak the Word of God into the lives of the people who look to you for leadership, that is a teaching opportunity. And they all said... Amen. Yes. I believe, and I'm not being defensive, and they all said, I know. <laughs> I believe that the office of the man of God, the husband, the father, is under attack from dark forces, from the forces of darkness. Because if you can undermine and eliminate the office that God has called the husband and the father to, you can create havoc. Amen? You can create havoc. I want to say something that is going to sound profoundly unpolitically correct. I think you could fix the problem of the inner city almost immediately by restoring one thing, the office of fatherhood. The office of fatherhood. The one thing that is different now in the inner city in places where society has broken down into lawlessness is the office of fatherhood. You don't know about that. Did you know that 90% of all the homeless and runaway children in America come from homes without a father present? Did you know that 85% of children who show behavior problems and disorders come from fatherless homes? 
Did you know that 80% of violent rapists, and when I read that statistic, I thought, why are they saying violent rapists? I think any rapist is violent. But anyway, they said it. 80% of violent rapists come from fatherless homes. 70% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of the youth who have chemical abuse problems are institutionalized for them in some hospital for, for chemical addiction come from fatherless homes. 85% of the youth in prison today come from fatherless homes. Our culture wants to say to the men, you are not important. I think dads are important. There is, you know, I, some will say I'm paranoid, but that doesn't mean no one's out to get me. But I see, a, and I saw this a few years ago, I, I saw this message being sown into the, uh, into the culture. I, uh, I, uh, I remember when the TV, at least we became aware of, there, there was a channel on the cable system called Lifetime. Anybody ever seen Lifetime? And so my wife was watching the movie. I sat down and watched it, and I thought, wow, the man in this show is a rascal. Next night I sat down, and we're watching another show on Lifetime, and the man in this show is a moron. And again, and finally I said to my wife one day, I said, are we going to watch TV tonight, or are we going to watch the I Hate Men Network? The I Hate Men Network, because... It seemed like every show, the man had two families. He was, he was married to somebody and cheating with somebody. And it was all, I thought, man, did they ever know a family where the man is a good man? Did they ever have a family where the guy actually is, is honest and upright? And that, that message is being sown and being sown. And even in political debates today, I, I heard a candidate say the other day, we are not here because of men. Well, good luck having babies without us. All right, let's go. The role of the father is in crisis, and it's critical to the health of the family. Constantly, Paul says stuff like this in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a leader must be able to teach. How am I going to function as a father, as a dad, as a husband, if I don't know what I'm talking about? And they all said, How's that going to work? Biblically speaking, it's one of those awkwardly quiet moments. I'm about to lay some wisdom on you. Are you ready? Are you up on the edge of your seat? There, there is a biblical fact that is so often, if not maybe 99% of the time, that is completely overlooked today. There's, this is the biblical fact. That one of, if not the greatest danger to the family is false teaching. 
The greatest danger to the family is false teaching. Some of you have lost your kids, not to drugs and alcohol, but to false doctrine. Hello? They don't believe the right things. They got environments, they got in environments and started hearing secular atheism and they began to buy into it because perhaps, perhaps we hadn't sat down and talked to them about these things. One of my joys from raising teenagers when we'd sit down and talk about doctrine. Now, we didn't call it doctrine, but they'd come in and say, well, I remember one of my kids came one time and said, Dad, will you tell me what the morons believe? I said, morons? Yeah, there's some people in my school that are morons. And I said, are you sure it's morons? She said, well, Mormon. You know, no. <laughs> Mormon, Mormon. I said, okay, let's, let's talk about what the Mormons believe, you know. And by the way, don't call them morons, you know. Uh, let's talk about what the Mormons believe. And it gave me a chance to talk about the difference there. What does Jehovah's Witness believe? You know, what do mainline do? And it gives us a chance. And they, we kind of got to be a game after a while. They'd try to stump me. I remember one time one of my kids came in, and she was being bitterly picked on, and I gave her some unbiblical advice. Sorry. I said, let me tell you something. I've been vertically challenged my whole life. I know what it is to look up at bullies and wonder how, if I was going to live to see the next day. Here's what you have to do. You have to surprise attack. You have to attack like you've lost your mind. You have to make them believe you have gone crazy. You climb up them, and you're just going nuts on them, you know. And I said, by the time you're done, both of you need to be on the ground because when you're on the ground, height doesn't matter anymore. And I was given this advice, and I said, you know, and you've got to do this in front of a teacher and accept the benefits because the teacher will save your life. Because as soon as the initial surprise is over and the bigger person gets back to themselves, they'll kill you if there's not a teacher there to pull you off of them. See? So it's always, you gotta, always got to have a responsible adult there. Anyway, I was talking about this, and she said, Oh, wait a minute, Dad. Wait. The Bible says you've taught me to turn the other cheek. I said, Baby, you've got your Bible chronology all mixed up. You first have to do like David did and knock him upside the head. And then you turn the other cheek. <laughs> she said, oh, you always got an answer for everything, you know. We need to have those conversations. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he, this is the man of God, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he may encourage others. Men, does that sound like you? so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, down to verse 11, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not teach. He says to the non-toxic man, to the, the man of God, you guys have got to be able to hold firmly to this trustworthy message and to confront false messages. You've got to have these conversations with your family and let them know what is right and what is wrong that isn't coming upon you. I know that if you woke up in the night and some intruder was punching out the window, getting ready to crawl in, you wouldn't go run down the basement and say, don't hurt me. 
you would get up and you would attack that intruder. And you would make sure that your wife and your kids were safe at your own peril and your own risk. If anybody died first, it would be you. You would make sure that that intruder was dealt with severely and decisively before you relax. Men, I'm here to tell you today the intruder's coming in the window. And he is false doctrine. He is false teaching. He's coming in right under our noses and saying, there is no God. Or if there is a God, he's a God that's just some kind of spiritual force with no morals and there's no accountability. And the men have their arms crossed waiting for a real threat. And that is a real threat. That is the worst kind of threat. Paul tells, tells us here that they are ruining whole households. Hello? They are ruining whole households because there's not a man that's ready to give the trustworthy message and to oppose and refute false doctrine with sound doctrine. In a lengthier passage, I'll give you these scriptures and then we'll just we'll talk for a little bit. All right. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse 14. Remind them of those things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. What are you going to have to understand, guys and gals? There's a difference between refuting false doctrine with good doctrine and just quarreling with people for the sake of arguing. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I'll give you uh, a few things to test it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So he says, if you squabble, that's ungodly. But if you, if you refute, that is godly. It's, it's a thin line there. And their talk, it will spread like gangrene. But God's firm foundation stands. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. Very important. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant con controversies. That's not talking about talking to your family about what is true, but I'm talking about foolish and ignorant controversies. I'll talk to you a little bit about that in a minute. You know that these breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, here again, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. In other words, able to, to go against it without losing his temper, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here's this critical difference, quarreling with people who just want to argue and debating and refuting those who honestly believe the wrong things. Man, when I was preparing this, I got under conviction and had to have an altar call in my office. I hummed just as I am, knelt down in my chair and said, God, forgive me. Because in some ways, I feel like I was born to debate. 
Ask anybody that knows me well. You lay out something, I start picking it apart and, and showing you how that's the stupidest thing you ever said. You know. I was born to argue, to reason, to refute. You know. And so when I looked at this, I thought, Lord, there, there are times I'm, I'm, I may have been guilty of just being quarrelsome because I just wanted to show you how ignorant your argument was, you know, and let's, let's take that. But see, teaching creates an opportunity for people to come to Jesus. Quarreling plays in to the devil's plan. I've got to separate those two. I have to understand what is the difference. I don't want to be quarrelsome. That is anti-God. But I want to be a person of sound doctrine defending my family from error. So let's talk about this for a moment. I'm going to give you some notes. Now, we've, we've laid the foundation biblically, right? So you don't have to worry that I'm getting this out of a paper or something. Um, let's separate godly biblical debate from ungodly, unbiblical quarrel. Number one, a godly debate does not see the other person as an enemy. A godly debate does not see the other person as an enemy. If you watch the life of Paul, he is reasoning and he's debating and he's challenging the people around him, but he's not doing it to show them that they're ignorant. He's, not, he's doing it to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. He is debating with all these philosophers because ultimately he wants them to see the truth and come to Jesus. When I am arguing with someone I see as an enemy, I am playing into the devil's hand. Amen? I'm playing in the devil's hand. When my heart is seeking to rescue them from error, then I am doing the work of God. You guys all right? Can I tell you a story? Anybody but Donna want to hear it? <laughs> Anybody other than Donna? I'll share it with Donna. But um, Some time ago, uh, a, a lady who uh, professes to be a Christian, I, I, I hope she's a Christian, some things she says, positions she holds, I wonder about it, but I'm not the judge. But anyway, she tagged me on a, a, a social media thread and asked me a biblical question. I honestly don't remember what it was. Uh, but she asked me a biblical question, so I joined the thread, and I answered the question uh, to the best of, of the ability that I had. And um, one of her friends jumped into the thread immediately and said this in response to me. Are you ready for this? Christians take the lazy route, mumbling to themselves and calling it prayer. They oppose those they don't agree with, and they lack any initiative when it comes to solving the problems of the real world. So he's rebuking this lady for asking my opinion on something. And immediately, I wanted to jump on there. And say, so what kind of an idiot are you? You know, but my my fingers were checked. I, I I sat back for a moment and I thought, are Christians lazy? 
and they make no impact on the world. And I did this incredibly weird thing. I said, Lord, help me answer this in a way that might resonate in his heart. Would you like to hear my answer? Here we go. It's long, so hang on. (laughs) I said to this guy, who was an atheist, let me introduce you to those lazy Christians. Christians are the ones who have filled this great nation with some of its biggest and best hospitals. Remember he said, when it comes to real problems, they have no answer. In distant lands, often the only hospitals are the ones Christians put there. This nation's most prestigious institutions of higher education, like Harvard, Notre Dame, Duke, and countless others, were established by those lazy Christians. Whenever natural disasters strike, Christians show up in mass to relieve suffering and save lives. Wherever Christians find orphans, they build orphanages and adoption centers. When the winter's cold threatens the poor and the hungry, Christian shelters will be their salvation. When the children in foreign lands can't get any clean drinking water, Christians mobilize and drill wells. When a weary traveler is stranded in an unfamiliar city, he doesn't call an atheist, he calls a church. Christians sponsor daycares and preschools so parents can afford their child care. We counsel the addicted and we embrace the prodigal. And I believe if I ever made a mistake so severe that it wrecked my life, Christians would be there for me to love me back to help. There is nothing like Christianity because there is no one like Christ. No no organization in the world has served and impacted the world like those lazy Christians you talk about. I'm proud to say I'm one of them. See the point? Instead of saying, up your nose with a rubber hose, I simply wanted to say to this atheist, you have no idea what you're saying when you call us lazy people without an answer. We have answers all around you. In fact, you've probably been in a hospital that we founded (laughs) as Christians. You have received all kinds of blessings from us lazy Christians. The weird thing is it shut the debate down. Does that mean I won? Secondly, a godly debate draws its wisdom from diligent biblical preparation. A godly debate draws its wisdom from diligent biblical preparation. You might wonder why I'm not preaching this to a men's group instead of the old church. Because I think, ladies, if you know how he's supposed to be, you can help him be it. Hello? I think, I think you can help him be it. I think you can encourage him. You can say, honey, I bought you a new Bible. I'd like to see you wear this thing out. Honey, it's okay if you take some time and go to the man cave and study your Bible. How in the world can he ever 
lead his family if he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what the Bible says. He's got to be a man of the word of God. Another story, all right? A few weeks ago, we had a guest here in church. After the service, a few days later, I, I uh, was talking to her on the phone. And I don't remember exactly what I preached, but apparently it didn't sit well. Can you imagine that? It didn't sit well. And she said, Reverend, you always know you're going to get your rear chewed when someone calls you Reverend. Reverend, let me introduce myself. I am a scientist. And what you preached was goes against everything that is scientific. I said, really? And then she started going in and talking about science predisposes people. Da, 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 da. And, and eventually I, I, I tried to be nice about it. And I, I think I was nice. I said, there, there is something I, I would like you to know. I said, are you a believer? And she said, yes, I am. I said, well, my goal last Sunday in that sermon was not to teach a science lesson. My goal was to be faithful to the Word of God. Now, if, if I said, you went home with a handful of scriptures that I used to make the point, if you can show me where I misrepresented or in any way did those scriptures a disservice, I'd like to hear about it. Because my goal that day was to be faithful to the Word of God. That was it. That was my goal. Man, if I miss that, let me know. I'll retrace my steps. And if I find out I did mishandle the Word of God, I will apologize to everybody involved. But she said, well, I didn't say that. And I said, well, you, then you're misunderstanding. My, she even went so far as to say, well, you sure didn't get many amens. See, you guys are getting in trouble. And it was a little bit of a controversial sermon, I think. I think we were talking about morality. And any time you talk about morality, it's a controversial thing, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, an underscore gentleman, your goal has to be to be faithful to Scripture. Faithful to Scripture. When you relax and say, this is what the Word of God says. I don't know what all the Big Bang and all that's about, but here's what the Word of God says. Amen? Where am I? Third one. <laughs> Godly debate cannot take place in the context of irreverent babble. That's what he said, isn't it? Avoid irreverent babble. If there's irreverent babble, God help me to get out of it. When facts do not affect the person I'm reasoning with, I am wasting my time. Amen? I'm wasting my time. When facts do not affect them. Again, I was invited <laughs> into a social media thread over this issue of the Second, Second Amendment. Do you know, how many know what the Second Amendment is? It's the right to roll up your sleeves, the right to bear arms. <laughs> oh, Lord. <coughs> I have the right to bear my arms. Um, but this young person, you know, has, has got it all figured out. Oh, they've got to outlaw all these things. And, and so I joined the, this thread, and I, and I simply made the comment, 
I think it's a reasonable question. If you are for removing the Second Amendment right that we should keep and bear arms, can you explain to me why the places with the most restrictive gun laws, Chicago and Oakland, California, why they have the worst gun violence? I'll ask. Tell, tell me how, how it is that the places that are actually doing what you guys are saying, unless it's changed, in Oakland, California, you can't even buy a gun there legally. It's, they're all out. And it's one of the worst places in the world to get shot. <laughs> and immediately, instead of discussing that, I started getting called filthy names. Well, you blank, 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 blank. I thought, what? Okay. Now, what, what I decided right then is that this is not a debate. This is vain babble. Because when I ask a reasonable question, and all I get isn't a personal attack, there's no point in carrying on that. Write this name down. You ready? Francis Crick. Francis Crick. C-R-I-C-K. He is a biophysicist from England, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he is a Nobel winner in science. What's his name? Francis Crick. He is the one who came up with or introduced the scientific world to the double helix structure of the DNA Molecule. How many are still with me? Remember that ladder that's twisted? He's the one who brought that into the scientific community. Now, Francis Frick was expounding on his atheistic view of random sequence of event leading to you, which that's a, a scientific way of saying that, and I'm talking about debating, right? So... He is trying to do that. He's doing the math. Did you know that when a person is convicted of a crime on DNA evidence, it means that there's no chance in the entire population of the world that anybody but that guy did it? Because his DNA is so specific that it's one in so many billion people that could have that same DNA, unless it's an identical twin. How many are with me so far? There's there's a point to this. Uh... And Francis Frick said, in order for the sequence of events to create molecules that would eventually create life, there would be so many fantastic things that had to happen. By that I'm talking about so many extreme things that you would have to have multiple people convicted on DNA and it be wrong. The chances of that happening. Thousands of people convicted of rape because their DNA was found at the scene, and thousands of people were wrongly convicted because it just happened that the DNA was wrong that time, that there was other people with that same DNA. And so Francis Crick is wrestling with this, and he says, it is scientifically impossible for evolution to have happened. You know what he said? Instead of saying, Jesus, come and save me, he said, tell you what happened. Aliens came. And they sowed spores 
on the planet. And from those spores came life. I'm not talking about some silly person put bellied up to a bar. I'm talking about a world-renowned Nobel uh, Prize winner in science saying, it couldn't happen, folks. It couldn't. It is so astronomical that it could not happen. I would say, Francis, just you and me in our imagination, let's go get on that alien ship and let's go back to the mother planet. Explain how it happened. It doesn't take a genius to go, you know what? There is a necessity of faith. You have to take a leap of faith. Nothing makes sense logically, scientifically. There cannot be infinite regression, yet there has to be scientifically and logically. So we say, what am I saying here? Is that when we can discuss this and offer a biblical solution, what I say to someone when they're an atheist, and I've debated atheists, I've sat and talked about this, when we move all the way back, back here to the first cause, and you and I have to agree that something totally unscientific happened, I say there was a voice from heaven said, let there be. You say something came out of nothing and it blew up and made everything. You got more faith than I do. But you can do that. But you know what the real point is? The real point is atheists are not those brilliant people who thought it through and all that. Generally speaking, an atheist is an atheist because he does not want to believe in a God he'll be held accountable to. And eventually you can usually get him to... I remember one young man said, Well, I, okay, I believe there's a creator, but I don't think he has all these rules. Why? Because I don't want to believe that I'm going to have to answer to a God that has created me. So when I, I'm saying this, and maybe it's irrelevant to some, maybe you don't enjoy this kind of thing. I, for me, I have to trace it. I have to be careful. When someone will not reason with me, they will not allow us to think this through, then I need to get out of that conversation because it's vain babble at that point. If they're willing to talk, I'll listen to them, and we're going to go all the way back and we're going to talk about the original uh, cause, then we'll get back there, and I want to help them see Jesus. Finally, number four, finally on this list. i got one more list real quick. Um, godly debate is carried out by the Lord's servant. By the Lord's servant. If it's carried out by the Lord's servant, then the teacher is going to do it the Lord's way. He's going to be kind and gentle. Anytime you make an argument that includes the words, you idiot, you're probably not doing God's work. The Lord's servant won the debate when the opponent has been delivered from the false doctrine, not when he's been humiliated. So let me summarize real quickly. I know we... I don't want to wear on your patience. What do we know about non-toxic masculinity here? 
Number one, the role of a husband and father is immeasurably important. Measurably important. Our culture has become more godless. Listen to me. As the culture becomes more godless, the attack on men will be greater. And the negation of men will be greater. If you remove the biblical man from the family, it becomes vulnerable to great harm. Number two, a man's roles can only be fulfilled with biblical wisdom. I know I've said it many times, men, but too many men have a distant relationship with the Word of God. They're too far away from it. They're too ignorant of it. They don't know what it says, and they have been rendered ineffective because they don't know what they're doing because they don't know what God says in His Word. Number three, the biblical man must defend the faith. When that intruder starts through the door, through the window, or in the back door, however, you have to stand up in the knowledge of truth and stand against false teaching. I guarantee you, if you're raising kids, there's going to be times when false doctrine is going to come in to try and snatch those kids away from Jesus. You have to be able to protect them. It is every bit as much or more important than protecting them from a physical intruder and number four the role of a man requires a heart of love and kindness a heart of love and kindness this bossy grouchy violent unkind man is not the man of god the man of god is kind the man of god is gentle the man of god understands that his words can hurt and he understands that his words can help so he's very careful what he does with his words amen the non-toxic masculine person is a man of wisdom he's a he's a man who understands the word of god the man who, whose opinions are founded upon biblical truth. And, and I am not the man has, God has called me to be. I'm not the husband. I'm not the father that God has called me to be until my leadership rests on the foundation of biblical truth. Amen? Until I rest on the foundation of biblical truth. Will you stand with me and bow your heads and Let's take a moment to think about what the Word has said to us today. Jesus said, if, if a man knew what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to have been broken up. Men... I guarantee you if the sun comes up tomorrow if there's a seasons of sunrises yet before us your home will be attacked by false doctrine 
just as you would intercept that intruder who is coming to murder your family, God wants you to intercept this intruder. He wants you to have those conversations with your kids, with your wife. Make sure that the faith, the doctrines, the biblical doctrines are understood and defended. Too many of us are simply letting them find their own way. And in doing that, our families are without leadership. And they're vulnerable. Father, please speak especially to the men hearing this message. Our culture in some ways has shamed them back in to a corner and I'm asking you Father that you would cause them to rise up in love and in wisdom and in great spiritual depth and take their place to engage the enemy to fight for their families and to not leave their families exposed to the threats of the evil one. Father, in the name of Jesus, stir these men to their place. And Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, I ask you, Lord, give them the faith right now to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. And in doing so, they are being saved. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just got one more sermon on this series. That It may take me two weeks to preach this one sermon. I don't know. It, the four things that try to corrupt men. So hang with me for just a little bit longer, and we'll, we'll work this through. Then we'll start on the women. How about that? Whoa, all right. God bless you. See you next week.